This is Jerry Cave, and you're listening to Farming on Mars. Good day. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Sierra Ware, and on this week's episode, I talked to Jerry Cave, who's a farmer from Flower Grove, down where the land really starts to look like Mars. This is the longest episode I've ever had, and I just love the entire dynamic of this interview. Mr. Cave had so many good stories. His grandson, Justin, helped convince him to be on the podcast and was also there for the interview, so I really appreciated his help as well. I'm excited for y'all to hear it, so let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. I'm Jerry Cave, and live at Flower Grove in Ackerley, Texas, all my life, except for two years, three months, and 20 days when I was in the Army. And when I got out of the Army, I came right back to Flower Grove and started farming. My brother, he, he went to college and I went to the Army and we got out at the same time. So my dad was ready to quit. So he says, here's my stuff. If you want it, you can pay for it with rent. And whatever you want to do or pay for it because he didn't have no money, so we had to do it with rent. And rented us uh, 640 acres first year. And we used his equipment that he had. He, did, he sold it to us. And we spent $1,200 to make a crop on 640 acres. You can't get a flat tire fixed for that <laughs> now. But anyway, that's that's where we started. And then, it, this was in 19, 1962 when I got out of the Army. But, uh, and we, uh, my brother, he was an ag engineering degree, so. And this fertilizing was a company new for dry land. So I said, we better do that, you know, try it. Okay, we tried about 100 acres. And people said, oh, you're, you're crazy. What are you, you wasting your money? But at the time, fertilizer was $65 a ton. That was a lot of money back in 62. And, and they and they driving down the road looking, and whenever picking time come, our fertilized cotton was about five times as good as their dry land without no fertilizer. So next year, we're going to do some more. We had to get in a long line to get fertilizer. And that's, and I guess we kind of opened it up for fertilizing in this country. And fertilizer is what made, helped make us 
make this dry-in work. And, and we discovered you don't ever lose any of it if you put it out this year. Well, you might lose a little bit, but it's still there for next year if you have a crop failure. If it don't rain, you still got fertilizer for next year to start on. And we always counted on that. Always put it on every, every acre. And then finally, we made enough money to go brand, buy a brand new tractor. Brand new 4020 John Deere tractor. And that was a planter and a cultivator that cost $9,000 for a setup. We still got one of them on site. And that was in 1966. And um, you can't buy nothing for that no more. But that, uh, we had we needed, we got to raise it cotton and we needed a stripper. We still didn't have any money, but spent it all on a tractor. So we was talking to the John Deere dealer up there. He looked us up and down and said, you guys look honest. He said, I'll just sell you a stripper and write it on a wall. And when you get the money to pay for it, you come and pay me. This, this, is, this is a way we got started stripping. And then, back then, we had cotton and cotton allotments, and then we had all this extra land. You could plant what you wanted to on maize or peas or whatever. <clears throat> we planted maize. So, we thought we'd like to have a combine. And we, we went and bought a huge combine, and we thought, well, this is kind of fun. So, two or three years, 1968, we went and bought a brand new combine. And we had combine and cotton. We had this stripper we bought on the credit, and this combine we bought on the credit, and we paid for them out of custom work, mostly. <clears throat> back in in 1973 was our lucky year it kind of got us over the hump got us started it was a good year a good year we had we planted cotton they let us plant cotton on everything, every acre of that year. And we planted, and we had every row of cotton. We didn't hardly have, have any weeds or anything. This was before uh, uh, herbicides. And again, we didn't spend hardly anything making the crop with fertilizer. 
cotton brought 72 cents a pound in 1973. But anyway, that's kind of how we got started. And then, besides farming, we had a son, Kevin, Justin's dad. He was, we lived down the road here a little ways, then, but he was, uh, when he got about maybe three years old, every morning, I'd go in to wake him up, and he'd be sitting on the side of the bed with his clothes ready to go. He wanted to go to the farm. <laughs> and he was about three, around three or four years old. And he's been a dad ever since. And he's a pretty good hand at it. He'd probably... And then Justin come along, and he's a... He's a... Well, I think he's teaching him a few pointers too on this. <laughs> oh, about it's that. A, it's a, on this the plant. The, what kind of deal do you got at degree? Uh, <laughs> it's a long word. Uh, agronomy. 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 And, and anyway, but anyway, Kevin came along and we wanted another child and we couldn't have one. So we went looking to adopt, and, and we went and checked into it and signed up, and it said it may be years before this will happen. We went to uh, uh, Point, Texas to see a cousin, and while we was gone, I mean, this was like in a month, or less than a month, maybe, they, they was trying to get a hold of us and tell us that they had us a girl. And Kevin, he was just big enough to stand up on the back seat of the car and look over, you know. But anyway, all of a sudden we had two kids. <laughs> and well, she turned out pretty good too. So have you always been all dry land? Uh-huh. Here? Uh-huh. It's never been irrigated? No, we never had any irrigation. It's, uh... We just don't have no water <laughs> for that. We got water, but it's not for irrigation. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, one, I guess you say, uh, 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 you might say I just retired because I had to. I didn't, I didn't quit, but <laughs> I just couldn't work, you know. But that, I don't count cancer and uh, other things. And, and uh, But I left them stripped for a couple of years later. And, uh, and that was what he was in college. You in there out here when I was driving the stripper. Show, a little bit. Showing, showing them how. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, I, I'd still be going if I could get around, I think. But, because um, uh, I, I liked it. But see, last year, 
And the year before, we didn't have any crop. Crop insurance is what got us by, I guess. Get, get, get our money back. Because it's... Because <clears throat> I wasn't doing the stuff. I was just waiting at, waiting on my renters to make me some, bring me some rent. <laughs> It, but anyway, I, I had insurance too. But that uh, they were spending the big bucks and just barely they was getting it. They're getting by all right, but they wasn't. They wasn't making any. I had any motorboats or anything. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> Still waiting on one of them. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what kind of varieties you planted when you first started farming? And kind of like how they've changed since then? Well, that... Uh, well, I remember one kind. Lankert 57. Was our variety of choice, and then put it in this here Von Roder Stormproof. Is we planted some of that too, but Stormproof was a real tight bowl cotton, and it'd make us big stalk of cotton, big plants, and. Um, Lanker 57 get a foot high, it'd make a bell on her cotton to the acre real pretty easy. Boy, it was pretty cotton. But it turned out to be that when they got to uh, Macanary and stuff, the Macanary was um, uh, wasn't good. And so we had to change varieties, and then, and then, and then we went to uh, Lockett, 4789. And nearly everyone played that for a few years. And um, it, was, it was a real producer. That was our 1973 come out years. We had I forgot how many bales, but anyway, we 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 have like four hundred bales of of the best grade they had on the on the deal. And then we'd have four hundred bales of those nearly that good, you know. And it, it was it was just a perfect year for cotton. And that uh and then and it brought seventy two cents pound. Some of them got more. But we wasn't that we thought, well if they're getting more maybe we can get more too we didn't contract. But anyway that that was a forty-seven eighty-nine. Is that, and then 
after that, I don't remember what years, but that's, uh, we planted that till they more or less started this, 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 this kind of cotton we got now. What's a, what's a, what do you call this here? BTs or whatever, yeah, where you could, Genetics in it, you know, round up stuff. You know, round up stuff. And I don't, I don't have any idea what that is, because that's in. When uh, you finished up, y'all were planting a bunch of Kalanani. Yeah, right? Kalanani Kayla, was a, was a long staple cotton, and it really done pretty good, but you couldn't put no Roundup or nothing on it. it and actually, I think that Calat 90 was probably the, could be the biggest producer on dry land, cotton, because you'd think, you've got, you've got a prairie patch of cotton out here, and you'd look at it and say, it don't have nothing on it. This is the Kayla 90. And it'd come a rain about this time of the year. And then it'd just cover up with bowls. All of a sudden. And you'd have the whitest, prettiest pets cotton you ever saw in your life. And, but then it'd bring 40 cents a pound or something, you know. But the what I, th I don't know if you want to know what I think or not. Yeah. <laughs> so you could cut it out. I think the, I think the All American Free Trade Agreement is what reason we're selling cheap cotton. But it's uh, we had allotments for years and years. And then they when they got that, well they have over here in Gaines County, and I guess elsewhere. These guys putting in a, a lots of new land, breaking out new land, and, and that uh, they was pretty good, pretty politicians, I guess you'd call them, or they needed the politicians. They well, you can raise cotton better than we can raise anything else. And we'll set it cheap if we can, if you let us raise it. And that's where we've been all this time that without our allotments, we raise it more, a whole lot more than we can use in the free trade agreement I guess means if we need cotton to make thread out of in North Carolina we got warehouses full of cotton here if they buy it cheaper in Mexico they'd go down there and get it we keep ours in warehouse while that's the reason I think North American Trade Agreement is.
<laughs> it was not good for us. Could and you explain the allotments a little more? Uh, How did those work? Well, did well the well they'd say we need fifteen million bales of cotton <laughs> run our meals and everything in the United States. That fifteen million may not be even close, but anyway, but uh, say we we, we uh, make twenty million bales, we can use up we we'll use out of our what we need out of the twenty million bales, then we can sell some to China. And, And then, but next year, if we had 20 million bales of cotton, they might want to cut our allotment back a little bit so we'd come up closer to 15 million bales, if that, was, if that happened to be the right number, you know. But then, that's the reason we, we had, um, we could plant maize on that. For, for the, the allotment that we didn't have cotton on. You know. And that got us in the combine, Dennis. And how many, like on a quarter section or something, how many acres of allotment would you get? Like, on, was it always different? Well, it's, you see, it's, uh, It could be different, but it depends on how many you planted before, you know, one thing, you know, if you planted, if you planted 100 acres on the year that they decide to do it, you'd have 100 acres a lot. And then you'd have to leave, set aside, you'd set out 25% of it or something. So you'd have 75 acres of it. You could plant the cotton and then you plant that other something else. And then, uh, but at the same time, he's doing that, we had a, a price support if cotton didn't bring enough, the, the price support would kick in and go a little bit, you know. And uh, <clears throat> the nearly need to be a Philadelphia lawyer to keep up with this government programs and stuff. Is it because now right right now, Kevin and his dad don't have time to work. He's going to ASE office and soil conservation and I mean, he got elected to do it, see, so he, he's a, always in something. And, uh, and then the co-op board and everything, but anyway, 
that that's one thing that me and my brother did or didn't do. We farmed from 60 to a one together without any hard help. And then he, went, he, he just quit last year or two, three. He's been about five now. Five. And his wife helped him after I, after I got down, couldn't do nothing, you know. And she, she is a tractor driver and a whatever. Cut module builder, truck stripper. And, and a whole ho hand. <laughs> My favorite. A, yeah, that, that's a, yeah, we just thought that, I forgot what year it was, we got three-wheelers, and three-wheelers came out. And we thought we done died and went to heaven because we didn't have to walk to hole, you know. And we could put a shade on it and carry our big ice chest and whatever and just go stay all day. That was, that was, that was pretty nice. I know it been used to hoeing, walking, and that, anyway, that, I forgot what year that was. But in between him and me, we had six, six of them three-wheelers, and we could, uh, or selling six, I guess. But anyway, we could go out, me, my wife, and Kevin, and then who else? We? Daniel and Zayden. Daniel and Zayden, somebody, they're about six, but anyway, maybe you, I don't know. Uh, but, but, uh, but we could really hoe a lot. Yeah, saved on, saved on spraying. But anyway, when Trefland came out, that's when we really thought we done died and went to heaven because it killed them weeds and um, germination. Yeah. But it's been a lot of changes in this roundup. That boy, that's that's we instead of hoeing them weeds, we could spray them. And uh, then all of a sudden, here the last few years, they decided they Roundup don't want to kill weeds. So I don't know what you do now. What do you put on? You get you everything. Got, they they got one of them 120 foot spray rigs. That they do the what we used to do with three wheels, and that's a you need to do what they done in Australia. Well, no, I guess you can't do it. 
they had they got centered on every every nozzle. If it sees a weed, it'll spray that weed, and the rest of them won't be doing nothing. Yeah, I could I could go for that. And they said they could do it as fast as they could drive that thing. Is there any equipment around here that you think is pretty specific to this area? Like that you wouldn't see around Lubbock or further north? I think the equipment would probably be kind of the same. That's uh, these deer tractors with the television or whether whatever it is, it's in there. I never drove one of those. But I do have one out there that I think maybe I might have learned how to drive on. And it's 82 years old. And then it's one of them deer models sitting out there behind the barn. <laughs> I don't know how to turn the lights on on yet. That they they are uh, really nice. If the air conditioner's working, and then they changed from the the Buster planters started changing in about. Oh, one, I think. And that's after I got down and couldn't do anything, so I never had run in one of those. But, I mean, the bed planters. And, uh, but they were, I think they about to get figured out how to make them work nowadays. I mean, y'all used to do all kinds of crazy stuff, trying to scratch cotton up. And oh, yeah, scratchers, yeah. I was a, I was a scratcher. We, we, when we buster planted this, our sandy ground, it would bait as hard as that right there. The plants couldn't break, see? So whenever we'd start planting, I'd just go rig up a scratching rig. And I had all kinds of scratching rigs. Or I could rig up nearly anything on this one toolbar. And I'd go and plant. The third day you need to be scratching for sure. And that's when I'd start scratching it, it, it they'd just keep planting them. With uh, with uh, bed planters, I don't think they have to scratch as much as they did, used to. They did, did a lot of figuring out how to get the, get the dirt just right. To, so it wouldn't be. Yeah. I, I was sat on the turn road and watched them a whole good bit. And they'd, uh, they'd get her set and then they'd just, next thing you knew, they was through planting. 
Except this year, that didn't work, did it? No. Every time it, it rained or something, and then they have to go take care of what got rained on, and it's too wet to plant and stuff. But anyway, that maybe, maybe you're saving grace because the late, the later cotton. It's still kind of green. It all needs rain. It, it needs rain now. I mean, if it was to rain now, it would be. It would be like that. Kayla Nanny was talking about. It would. It still got time to put on sun, but you don't have but the tenth of September. Is, it, is what they say make, could make a good crop, but I, I go to the 20th when I'm figured. <laughs> and the more, more cotton has been made in September here, dry land, than it has in played in, well, it's no matter when you plant it, it just, when it gets rained on. If it gets rained on late, it makes later. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm not super familiar with this area. Are all the counties around here pretty similar? Or do you think this county, do they have differences with the way they do things? Well, this. I think they're pretty well the same, except except some just little places that, yeah. where it's real hard ground or something. But mostly it's, it's it, I'd say this is kind of a sandy, sandy long grant area. Gaines County, Dawson County, and Terry County, and Martin County. Then you get on. The further south, it, it may be, it's a different kind of a soil. And I think all these pretty well the same around here, so, except a few places it's more sandy than it is at other places. And, but the sandy, the sandy, Mixed sandy land is is a got a is better for us than it is just black dirt, good good real rich soil because because of, of the rainfall. The rain will go in a, in this sandy ground deeper and, and store itself up where on a tight. Ground. We got a little bit of it rain and it wet the ground a couple of inches deep, and then the sand it wet it deep, you know. And you got it down in there for the roots to go to. And but I think if I was going to start over again, 
I would, I would say, dry land farming. Because some of these days we're going to run out of water, pumping it out of the ground. And I'm thinking that's my idea, but I don't know that. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think y'all are in a better set than You us. know, back in the 50s, we had about a seven-year drought. And up, up here in Terry County, north of County, where they irrigated, their water went down so fast they just quit. And then, then long, whenever they, the circles got popular, the water had done right come back in somehow, recharged, uh, but they're really taking it out now. <laughs> but it, uh, it sure is. Makes pretty cotton. And that, but thank Justin, he's mentioned uh, putting down a grape vineyard. And I think with a little water, or less water than it takes to irrigate cotton, you can have a pretty good-sized grape vineyard. And it brings pretty good money. Inside, it, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's uh, like $500 a ton for, for grapes. And my wife's nephew's got a vineyard in Brownfield. Last year, me and my friend went up there and watched him harvest a little bit. <clears throat> and he said those were making eight tons to the acre. So if you're getting $500 a ton, it, that could add up pretty quick. That, but then it, it's, it's a little more work to it, but you don't have it. You don't have thousands of acres to go over that I think this saw around here is uh, would be we could we could take over the wine making business uh, with with grapes is that uh, you getting a fever well, you get just getting maybe a little more ambitious than I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this, this, uh, but this, I heard you was a, a farmer. Yes, sir. Or, or north of Rawls. Rawls. That's Rawls. Is that kind of north? It's um. Well, well come is northeast of Lubbock. Northeast. About Forty miles. Uh -huh. Between Rawls and Floyd Ada. Okay. That's a, that's pretty country up there. Well, this is pretty dry on the way here, too. Yeah. Just different. Yeah. We did. I said, when I come home from the Army, I bought a ticket from Oakland to Lubbock on an airplane. Well, I thought I was going to Lubbock. But anyway, I come to El Paso and Midland. And then Midland right over there and I love it. Go right right over here. 
And I looked out the window, and it was the biggest sandstorm you ever saw in your life. And I thought, man, I'm home now. <laughs> 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 it's, anyway, it's, it's a. I've seen a few of them since then. But that, How did your family first get out here? Did they come straight here? Like from East Texas? Pretty or? close to here. They, back in the 30s, well, one thing, the Bow Weevils run them out of East Texas, Collins County. And my granddad, grandma had seven kids, like a lot of people did back then. So, I don't know how they got here. I think maybe they had a car. But some of some of the neighbors come in wagons and horses. But anyway, they came. They landed it right up the road here, past that gym, up ten mile gym here, right there. It's about what, five miles up there. That's where they come to when they come from East Texas to pick cotton for a dollar a day. If it was good hands, they got paid a dollar a day. But that, but they, but this Applegate farm up there had a barn, hay log upstairs, you know, and then the sheds over here at the side, and you drive through in the middle with a bunch of rooms on it. And that's where people from East Texas come. And they, and they got, well, I don't know if one room was enough for my grandparents or not. But anyway, they stayed in them rooms with till they was full. And, they, and these people picked cotton for the apple gates. And then I guess other people too, when they got through. And... <clears throat> And my granddad, he was a, I don't know what we call him, a, he was a talker. He's a, he was a visitor, uh, a visit with anybody. <laughs> and he got to visit with Mr. Slaughter, or one of the Slaughters, I think it was two or three of them. But they owned everything from Big Springs to Martin, over to, over, I don't know how far east over there, but it went to the Colorado River over here. But my granddad was talking to this slaughter, and he, uh, he, he was beginning to sell this land around here. Or everywhere they had it, you know, they'd sell. They were selling some, and um, and, and since he was here, my granddad picked him out a place over here. That it, he, that's where he wanted. So, and this slaughter said, "Why don't you go to Martin and pick you out a good place up there?" He said, "It's got." It's got water under it, irrigation. 
Well, Granny likes this over here. Granny Caves. Yeah. And um, he just take that. But anyway, it didn't, I don't know if he paid more for that than it, than he did later, but my dad and the other, some of the other seven kids and their son-in-laws, and they, they paid $20 an acre for land between here and Ackerley around. $20 for about 160 acres and all on the credit. And most of them made enough to pay for it somehow, but some of them didn't. So Slaughter got back to sell again. And, but that's the way my folks got started farming here, around here. And then my granddad, my daddy worked for my granddad. And then one of his son-in-laws worked for him. And, and my granddad, he was a adventurer. So he bought a A. John Deere with a four-row planter never heard of, you know, around here. And he hired my daddy and my uncle worked for him. And my granddad had a, he rented a section at New uh, Home from here, built here. And another section over by Ackerley, they had this one four-row tractor. And my daddy had drive it from, daytime or the nighttime, whichever. And my uncle would take the other. And that, uh, where they'd go to this section, one of these places, they, they didn't have no pickups back then, so yeah, they'd go in the car. They'd sleep in the car till they got the job done, what they was doing and go to the home and do that and stay in the car. Yeah. Then they make a crop, pick it by hand, and pull it to the gym behind the car in a, in a stock trailer, one bell at a time. And they, they thought, man, they're doing good. And I guess they was. They said it gotten back in for what he can get for it now, see. <laughs> I might say pretty close. That the dollar back then would buy something. This this land that cost twenty dollars an acre. And uh, if you don't want to sell it, you better not price it under a thousand dollars an acre and maybe even more than that now. And, uh, 
you'd see a dollar was worth something. And that man was new then. That's now it's nearly a hundred years old. <laughs> but that, and anyway, my daddy, he never would buy anything on the credit. The farm or anything. After he, he, he this what, 160 acres of ground at 20 bucks an acre is what? Three, three, thirty-two hundred. Thirty-two hundred dollars. Okay. Something, something like that. The way they started, then, and then, uh, but in La Mesa, the old timers about the same age as my folks and, and their kids, but same age as many of their folk. They, they come from East Texas, most of lots of them, to work for nearly nothing. But that, back then, they made it work. And that, and around here, between here and Ackerley, down toward not where you've got some ground. And uh, there was a house on every 160 acres. And no kid had to walk more than three miles to school. Schoolhouse every six months. That's crazy to think about. See, the schoolhouse up here, um, it's out of business now, Flower Grove. But see, there was another one over there, about five, six miles to the east of it, old Flower Grove, and this is new Flower Grove. Whenever they get a bunch it up, this one up here bunched up to about four schools consolidated and then it got to where I guess it wasn't enough kids to have a school or they could have another school somewhere for running for less money they consolidated again and that's a it was called Klondike, Sparenberg, Plargo, Courtney, and Walcott. And, I mean, they just, they just, whenever they'd have a basketball game, several of them didn't have no gym. They just had, a, had the goal set up out in the playground in the dirt. Tarzan is right on the over there. Bouncing that ball and it not hit a rock and take off that away, you know. Thing. But anyway, they, they thought they was having fun. I guess it was. And uh, then they do that during school hours. Because you just go over five miles and play a ball game or whatever. 
They didn't have football around back then much. But that. What about like when y'all used to, how did y'all deal with, so you're picking all this cotton by hand, where, where did y'all get the, how'd y'all come up with the labor to do that? Oh, when they pull it by hand, this, this is just before we started, man, Daniel. The year before we started, they, they pulled the cotton by hand, but the co-op gin would, uh, well, they had to have barracks or had to have places for these hands to stay, and they'd, they'd come, get them up from Mexico by the train loads. And they'd say they'd take a couple of hundred, couple of hundred hands over to my dad's field. Pick what was ready there. And when they got through the same, they'd go over to the next, next field neighbor. But the gin was a furnishing. Yeah, they may have, I don't know, hundreds. Hundreds of hands, you know. They they they, they done that to have these hands, and they'd pick their cotton and to take it to the the gin. It furnish the hands to pick it, and seem like it. They'd have to the gin would have to spend about forty dollars a piece to get them up here or something. But then they they had to make so much a week. If it rained a whole week, you'd still have to pay them twenty dollars or or something, you know, a certain amount. I don't know how much it was, but that's a, when they done it by hand. Then, but see, like I told you all ago, there's a house on every hundred and sixty acres. And not, most people didn't have much more than that. Half a section maybe in, in the sit 1960. And like this, across the road here, they had, they had a good bit of land, but they had uh, several renters on it, you know. Section land and have two or three renters on it. And did everybody done the, most of their hoeing and stuff like that herself? And uh, I remember one time I, my dad had an accident. He <laughs> dropped a wheel weight on his foot. He's trying to put it on the tractor and it fell on his foot and he was dove up while I hurt. He gave me a check one day. I was about 14. I didn't have no driving license or nothing. And here I was going to get the payroll at the bank to pay them cotton pickers with for a week. I never had even been in that bank. Yeah. Got that check up there to the teller. And it was a $40,000 check. And I never had seen that much money. They pay them hand cotton pickers, and they paid them in dollar bills every Saturday. And that's how much my daddy's bill was that week, <laughs> and he couldn't go get it. 
at the bank, you had to go, I don't know, it, like, I think it, they stayed open on Saturday. They, you know, and I, was, I was probably more nervous doing that than I am here. So, <laughs> and then I got home, they said, what are we going to do with that? Maybe it's on Friday. They said, what are we going to do with that money to we pay them hands? And, you know, the only place we could find was in the back of the piano. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why I remember that. But, that, that's, but that's, that's what happened back then in Japan. And when, they, when all the hands would go over to one place, you know, it would wind up just... It cost more money, I think, back then to have it hand-pulled, or about the same, I imagine as it does now to have it stripped with one of them new strippers with a roller on it per bale. But they, it, if you made a hundred bales of cotton back then, there was all these 160 acre farmers, you know. Yeah, man, I made a hundred bales this year. You hit the jackpot. And that's what you'd live on the whole year uh, for money that everybody had cows, pigs, chickens, watermelon patches, tomato patches. Hardly ever had to go to the grocery store, but when you went, you could get a whole car full of groceries for 20 bucks. Yeah. A whole trunk full. Yeah. But now you can get it all in a little sack or in Justin's hat there for 20 bucks for But that's, I probably got off all of the story. What was we talking about? Hand pulling? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's no, what, that was a good story, though. That's what my uh, wife says. Now, don't get off talking on something you don't know nothing about. <laughs> Did, didn't you tell me one time that uh, for the hot bath water... They'd take and drain the water out of the radiator at the tractor some Friday or something, take a bath and do that. Oh, that I, make that I, up? Or? No. The tractor out there got the drain plug more out on it. He <laughs> <laughs> put, didn't have any freeze, one thing, and didn't have no hot water heater in the house. He had to have a tea kettle or, and the cook stove was oil. Or wood. We was we was uptown. We had oil stove, and we had oil heating stove too. You know, whenever you're out plowing all day, you come in, you're nasty as a pig, you know, without a cab. So. The tractor would hold a bucket full of water and he'd pour it in in the morning, run it all day, and then, especially in the wintertime, you had to drain it at night anyway. You put your bucket under there and you catch that water, and it was clean, it was clean water coming out of that tractor, unless something wrong with it or something, but it. Then uh, you'd carry it in the house and 
And the guy that was driving the tractor got to take a bath. The other guys had to get take one on Saturday where he needs you or not, you know, to take the off. Daddy done that a lot. And, but after the war, WW2, they got to where they could get butane and stuff. And Daddy got a hundred gallon butane bottle or tank. And then you had to bury them in the ground. And we dug a hole and we buried that in the ground and we got a hot water heater. And That uh, when the war started, this is 1941, I think. Daddy had made enough renting to build a house. So he's hired this guy to build a house. He had a saw and a hammer and a square. You know, he had. <clears throat> he saw it and sharp, but he built a house with it. The house cost whole house. We moved in, fourteen hundred dollars, and, and we had a bathtub, but we didn't have no hot water heater to go hot water. And then, like I said, after the war, we got a butane bottle, about a tank, buried it in a hot water heater. Then, I, then, then, I, then we uh, cousins lived on every 160 acres. It wasn't a half mile to somebody's house. And we had several cousins. And we had this bathtub in hot water. And they, them cousins would come up to the house. They'd get me and my brothers. Let's take a bath. Let's go take a bath. We'd sneak into the bathroom. I don't know what mama was doing, but she was probably a snickered, laughing. We didn't have no electricity then either. But that, uh, We'd, uh, it'd be about six of us in this little old bathtub and I'd uh, take it to bed. So, I'm not going to take one unless you do, you know. You got to too. we we'll get a pup and we all going to get one. <laughs> <laughs> I figured Mama was looking in the door laughing at us. It, uh, it's... Well, that, that, I guess you'd call that a fun thing that we got to do. Are you optimistic about the future of cotton farming around here? Well, somewhat, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's gotta be, cause 
that's what we do. And that someday, I think everything is going to be getting more in line with the, what, what we can get, get for our product so we can see it being extended it is now. But because it's this price support business is that helps, but we're going to be supporting everybody, the immigrants and all. If we're supporting farmers too, I think it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna get better. Is what I think. If we if we can stay long enough, and then then. If Justin gets in the great business and gets a winery going, we won't care where it gets better or not. But it just goes. Yeah. He's got an awful lot of faith in you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you're going to be a wine tycoon. I guess. You need a taster, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> or a taster. It's a, it's a, and you cut all that out. <laughs> So he'd be down there trying to sell wine to the Church of Christ. Dang right. <laughs> Untapped market. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been interesting. I've been here I'm the 83 in February. I've seen lots of, lots of changes. One change I'd like to see is where we get what our products we get more in line with with the rest of the world instead of what we had not pay for theirs and what they're paying us for ours. And I think it's going to change when these days. I thought you were going to tell a story about uh, what was it? Was who was it that fell in the hole back over there on the tractor? Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> it's was, the same spot, wasn't it? Yeah, well, back there behind it. it see, down around here was Indian territory. And uh, you put our heads over these, and uh, me and uh, I had, had three brothers. And we was all down there plowing one day, beasting. And this, this ground, it was new land and it wasn't too leveled out good yet, you know. It had humps in it and stuff. And, and uh, it, uh, he was plowing along there. I turned around and looked and there he wasn't there. All I could see was the exhaust pipe of the tractor. Front, front end there. <laughs> and he fell out of that tractor, the back end went down in the hole. And the best I could figure out that was just uh, a, a cistern or something that the Indians had fixed back a long time ago. At the top, they had about that much clay on top of it. 
was probably more than that at one time, but anyway, the, the inside it was just plastered smooth. And I was going to go back and see about it. And it came a sandstorm that very same day and carried it, filled that hole back up. I never did get to go back up there. But people from all over the country, New Mexico, everywhere, Texas, they come around down in there hunting arrowheads and stuff. I got in there in the office. I got a few of them, if you don't know, look, they're hanging on the wall. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, I was also going to ask you, whenever, so whenever your family first got here, was the land already broken out? Some. Or they had to break it out? Some. That's the reason they come, was to pick cotton for some that already oh, that's come right. earlier. But anyway, they, that was uh, one reason they came, because the land was, Fertile, and the, the bow eagles hadn't got here yet. And then they they broke this land out with a grubbing hole, and so that uh, they dig up these mesquites. This is, it looked like this across the road here. Mm. They dig these mesquites up and burn them. And but they may have a five-acre farm this year and then next year they'd have 30 or something. So. Were they bedding it up on 40 inch beds or what did they do? Yeah, the 40, 40. Well, that's, well, they make, uh, yeah, they, the first thing they did after they got the trees grabbed off of it and burnt, they'd run it one way over it and chop up the grass and stuff. And then they'd lift it up, bed it up on 40 inches. <laughs> Did, didn't uh, Granddaddy Cave, didn't he uh, used to do like four and two spacing? Yeah, and then that's whenever the, uh, the, I've had allotments with my dad before, before I, we went to farming. He had a, he bought new ground and it didn't have no allotment. But you could sit, you have allotment over here on this place, you could put over here on this place, some of it. So instead of planting 40, we don't say 100 acres, you'd plant 50 of it over here. And then, it, and then you had the half section over here, and you'd put the 100 over there. And you'd plant two in and four out. And that may come popular again sooner than we think for dry land. But that, uh, them, them roots on that cotton, you got four, that's a four, four blank beds is what, 200 inches. You plant the cotton on this. Two rows here, and then you got 200 inches here with nothing on it. That cotton roots. They'd go plumb across this way, and then on this way, they'd come plumb across this way. And, and that moisture 
if it just come a half inch of rain or something, wet the ground so deep that the, that was you could really get a lot of mileage out of that because them roots would go over there all the way across them frozen and on the, the year I come home from the army or the year crop before I come home my daddy made four bells to the acre on driving cotton and, uh, and that's the rose he planted that he paid on 300 acres, 100 acres. See. And it was two in, four out. Yeah. So there's a cotton acre, it's four bells. What would it be? The ground? It'd be about a bell and something to the acre. But you, if you had it planted solid, you might not make but half a bell to the acre. I mean, solid, you yeah. know. So, so it uh, somehow. But that, what I was saying a while ago, it, uh, would, uh, now, I don't know if it's cheaper to till ground than it is to spray it. What do you think? <laughs> the, the, when you do 16 rows at a time, you don't know to get there before you go into the house. Yeah. Uh. Oh, that's the great debate whether it's better to plow more, cover crops, or well, what's but, the hot But see, <laughs> see, this, this uh, uh, spraying, you spray these two rows and you till these other four rows. This solid cotton don't blow as bad as two and one cotton. I know no, that. But, see, but, but, fix one problem, create another. But, yeah, but, but, uh, like now, right now, whenever Daddy was planting two and four, or even two and two, he would, uh, we'd be out there planting, we'd plant, have a maize patch, we'd come by in the maize about now, or pretty quick, you know, planted early. And he'd have maize. You could plant. You could plant it. You know that. It wasn't. We didn't have any weeds back then, because <laughs> we hoed them. <laughs> and we till them four rows. You know, keep them clean. And then hoeing, we didn't have but two rows to hoe out of. A third of it, you know, and, and we'd plant that maize right now, you know, in them four rows, drill, drill it. Okay, if it was to, the cotton's pretty well made now, and, and but it would be dry planting this maize seed, and it'd start to rain. This cotton don't need all this rain, especially. But if it rained a lot, it, the, we'd have this maize in here and it would come up and it'd get about knee high or something to keep the sand from blowing. 
that was a, that was a it's all a conservation deal. And then then next year a lot of times we had them out rows on contours, you know, and so we'd have to run the same way every time. Next year we had to put them two rows of cotton in, that's where this maze was, you know, and until this other but like now, this this here spray business, you can spray. Well, I don't know what it costs to spray, but anyway, with a hundred and twenty foot of spray, and you go out there and you spray these two rows every once in a while, and you got them, and you and you can go out there and you can spray. Uh, if it's growing too good, you can spray that stuff Picks. on picks yeah. on just just you just pay one thirty gram. That that would probably cut down on part of your spraying bill. You probably want to put more ticks on it than you would if it was ever grown. But, but anyway. But that's uh now what was we talking about? That's that's uh and then two and two. We did two and two and then uh we put two rows of cotton and two blanks and two rows of maize and two blanks and two rows of cotton. Now that was spreading it out, wasn't it? That's six rows in between there. But we didn't have any cotton lots for our new land. And we'd have that maze in there. And my uncle bought a brand new three row. Minneapolis Moline Combine. And he kind of asked me if I would run it for him. Man, I love it. It was a three-wheeler. <laughs> Did you like driving it? Oh, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. It had the big wheels, you know, like they got them now. And it had one wheel over here on the side over here. There wasn't one far in this one. And anyway, he said, yeah, I, I got a job for you. You go over and thresh them mung beans for this guy. And mung beans lays on the ground. Big bushy. I don't know what they're for. But that, <clears throat> the cows eat them, I think. But that combine had to have these fingers on it to go down and drag on the ground and get them to come up in the hair. And that ground wasn't real, plowed real good. And I'd be going along there and 
and that power lift on that thing didn't work real fast. The first thing you know, I was in there with the shovel scooping out dirt. I'm glad that job was over with. Then, then they down this planting these two rows of maize in between there. They'd run it clean. Or, or part of it just clean as whistle so they could plant it, you know, without having it re clean. Boy, I could make the prettiest planting seed here or so. My cousin, he was a My uncle's boy had the combine. He he was I don't know how old he was. He was about a, he was in high school somewhere. But he learned how to drive. But he drove with both feet flat on the floor. And he was hauling maize to Ackerley. In a trailer. While I was getting another hopper full, he was taking it to the elevator. I don't know how much he got there with. Because <laughs> he was uh, flying when I go out of sight. And he, he struck, he had an alphabet, uh, well, no, it's not an alphabet. Yeah, I guess, I don't know what it is. Whenever you go with lots of cuss words, and you know just where to put them in to for, get the most effect out of it. <laughs> uh, You, I was just gonna ask. Um, did you grow up calling it maize? Because I always think it's interesting. Some did, people grew up calling it Milo. Maize. Oh yeah, we just called it, just maize. Called it maize. Your whole yeah. family just called it maize. I didn't yeah. ever know what Milo was till yeah. college. Yeah, yeah I Because I, mean. I grew up saying yeah. maize. And, maize. So yeah, I was just that, curious. I didn't know if it was like a West Texas uh, thing or. The. We always had cows and hogs and stuff. We'd feed the maize to the hogs, chickens, and then cows too. But we always had a patch of high gear. High gear? That was a, that was a well, it's not Milo, but it, it would get about six foot tall. And it had white grain on it, and it'd make um, we'd make bundles out of it. Do you know what Capricorn is? That's uh, about the same thing as high gear. Okay. I mean something like that. I've just heard of it. I didn't. I've asked people it's, before, but they didn't but know. It's different. Um, I mean, it's it's Capricorn. I think. My be just a little bit taller plant than our gear. But some reason or another, 
we had high gear. And then every once in a while they put in some red top cane. And that red top cane would get seven foot tall. And then, but you had to have a different binder to bind it because you got a seven foot tall bundle you get tight right here and you got seven foot more here you put get onto a string and it comes off so you had to have a had to have a another kind of binder so you could move the string on up here tight where you wanted it for garden you could you could, you could bundle high gear with it too but it was a, a row binder would work on high gear and that bind it and go shock it let it dry out until it goes out for Christmas <laughs> and then we'd have to go Stack it in the stack lot. And you had to do it just right or it would fall. You put down a row with the heads in, and you put down a row with the heads out. And then you gradually kind of a little bit blessed you got to the top and then when you got to the top you use this stacking them one yeah. this way and one that way one this way one that way and that was my job what would y'all do with the high gear we'd grind it make cow feed out of it to feed our milk cow and then we had four milk cows sometimes. We'd milk, we'd have about three or four buckets of milk. We'd go pour it in the separator. And then, uh, we had one of them kind, and, and uh, the milk would come out one spot, and the cream would come out one spot. And that then I don't know what made it whir, but anyway, the faster he turned it, the whirr he'd go. And then, then later on, we got this this uh, cat thing, about 10 or 15 gallons big. And it was on stand. And you had glass, sight glasses on the side of it. And it's like this bottle would be upside down. And, and that, and it, and that, uh, there this cream would come to the top. It'd come down through here, and it, you'd see you have this much when it starts down. When you get down here, this, this, this snare part, it would, it would be a bunch, you know, you could tell exactly where it was and you could cut them when it 
when it got to the cream, you could cut it off. Then you'd put that in. I don't remember what, I guess we had it in the refrigerator. And then on Saturday, we'd make butter out of it. We'd make in one pound blocks, had this little mold, and make it one pound. And you make that butter. And it would, uh, you'd jerk it out of that buttermilk. Squeeze the buttermilk out of it. And then until you got there, it said fit in that mold, and then you put it in there, and then you turn it over, push it out, and then you'd make it out. And then Saturday, you have all this hair butter. You'd take it down to the store and you'd trade it for groceries. And that was that was earlier. And then later you would just take the cream down there. And you'd send it to the creamery. And they'd make ice cream or butter or whatever is on that food. <laughs> you know, these ten gallon cans. Milk cans. You see them around at antique stores now. That's <laughs> it uh it's uh making that butter is kind of magical. That's my grand, one of my grandsons, he was hunting something to do for his, he'd do something in class, you know. I told him to get him some cream and a jar and go to school. Just shake it, see. What are you doing? Making butter, you know. You <laughs> <laughs> could shake it, yeah. Uh, you're 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 nuts, you know. Well, I'm making butter. After a while, pour that butter in there, and he's got a lump of butter in there, you know. So they thought he was smarter than he thought he was, you know. That's Steve in over over at his school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's uh, no, man, before that, before uh, we lived in this old shack, me and my brother, barn, and it was. It was made out of one by twelves with a one by four on the cracks. And they nailed onto the floor. And then in the inside, you go to the grocery store 
Yeah. I mean, we wasn't the only ones. It was lots of people. I want, I want my groceries in a box. Keep the box for my groceries. Then, they come home, and they take that box, and they nail it on the wall, because it didn't have sheetrock with you to keep the sand and the dirt from coming in. And, but then when they make butter and stuff, didn't have no refrigerator, had an ice box. Ice man come on Saturday. He'd look and if, if you wasn't there, if he was or whatever, he'd leave you 25 cents or whatever it was on the table. He'd come in and fill up your ice box. And you have a little hunk of ice for Sunday dinner and stuff, you know. And, but otherwise, out at the windmill, had this long box with a lid on it. And the windmill pumped into this box. Got that much water in the bottom of it. Then it'd run over into another barrel or whatever you had there to catch you drinking water in. And that, uh, uh, you put your milk in your stuff that you wanted to keep cool in that, in that box. Because it, it would soak up with water and the wind had cooled it off a little but the water coming out of the windmill was a constant 60 something degrees 62 I think that's a oh hear another story <laughs> daddy had horses Pull a wagon with. Yeah. And they and hooked the wagon up and they'd go out in that head maze. He didn't have no gun. Every head they'd cut it off with a pocket knife so they didn't wag. Well, you can drive the wagon. That was me. <laughs> And I thought I was driving a wagon, but all the time, they was back there talking and carrying on and doing something that I didn't say something. I don't know what it was, G or haw or something, or woe or get up or whatever. But them horses would move up about five foot and stop. And I thought I was driving away. And I was about five, four or five, I guess. <laughs> Doing that, and I don't remember driving the wagon anymore. I probably got fired. What advice do you have for younger farmers? Well, <laughs> well, that's a uh, if you 
I'd say, I'd say if you're starting out, uh, don't get too big too quick. Get you enough to have, have some luck on. Then when you have some luck, try more. But that's, uh, that's around here. Me and my brother never did have much land to farm, maybe 2,000 acres between us. And some of them, they tried to get 5,000 acres or something. And they got a job at gas station now or something, you know. They, they just lost their bridge, lost everything they had. <laughs> it, 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 uh, but Yeah, I'd just say get get enough to get to make something on, and then go at it. You get you get you um, a scientist. What, what did you say you was? Economist. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, he come out with some good good advice on stuff, but we well, don't. Yeah. Cause he's the only one, only farmer we got around. He's got a, got one of them masters or what kind of degree you call that? And, uh, yeah. But anyway, it, yeah, you can. See, it's still. Well, he just started last when six, six years ago. And I think he's gonna turn out to make something all right. He watches his P's and Q's. <laughs> and, yeah. and then he's probably farming some, some land that some of them guys that thought they was going to get rich for him and not doing nothing. You're going to have to make more money what you do than you can hiring somebody to do it for you. Because if you lose out, you just lose your time, and if you had a lot of hard help and stuff, you got to pay them. So then, if you happen not to make it, you lost that too. You don't don't try to do too many things. You know, you got to put a lot of money into. Don't don't get you hurt cattle and stuff and and then try to pay for two or three of these here quarter million dollar tractors and stuff and just try to do do the best you can whatever you're doing. Even though it may be two or three different things, but that, <laughs> that, that if you don't, that, that's uh, well, it's one thing you gotta like what you're doing. If you like what you're doing, you're gonna you're gonna make it work, or you've got a chance to make it work. Just just make up your mind what you want to do and do it. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode with Mr. Jerry Cave. And please remember to check back again later this month for another episode about the people of the Plains. 
Don't know the answers But the question 